Hello and welcome to the Ocean Impact Podcast. I am your host, Tim Silverwood. Our guest on the podcast today is Sean Doherty, who is the chair of Surfrider Foundation Australia. He's the head of brand engagement at Patagonia Australia. He's an author, a surf journalist, but increasingly he is an amazing environmental spokesperson. If you follow Sean Doherty on Instagram, his handle is Seano888, you will see he is just a bold spokesperson for the current state of Australian politics and how we are treating the natural environment, particularly our coastlines. He was a key figure in the successful campaign to fight for the bite. This was to remove the plans to extract oil from the Great Australian Bight on the southern coastline to prevent what would be a disastrous oil spill should it ever eventuate. And he's now lending his voice and his incredible insights and wit to campaigns like protecting bushland remnant habitat in Manana to the PEP11 offshore gas projects off the coast of Sydney and Newcastle. He really is an amazing bloke, a true Aussie legend, passionate surfer, and highly respected. So this podcast was recorded via Instagram Live, and we have a good old-fashioned yarn. I hope you enjoyed this episode. I surely enjoyed talking to Sean, and uh, can't wait to see where this man goes next with his passion for a sustainable future for Australia and our beautiful home planet. Thanks for tuning in to the Ocean Impact Podcast. Hi everyone, it is 5.30pm on the 2nd of September 2020, which means we are going to be going live on our Instagram with a really respected spokesperson for Planet Ocean, it's Sean Doherty, and I'm particularly excited about this conversation Sean is someone who I follow very closely for his views and opinions on what is happening, particularly in Australia uh, with the state of Planet Ocean and some of those very important things that we need to be doing to protect our beautiful coastline. And he's really done a remarkable job in mobilizing communities, particularly the surf community. So we'll have Sean joining very soon. Um, little update from us. So we're uh, a week into our Pitchfest 2020 campaign, which is an incredibly exciting thing. One week down and five to go. We've been really thrilled at the response that every... We've been really, really thrilled at the response from our community. Everyone has taken to the idea. They've um, not only have they sort of been following and liking and sharing it around. They've also been commenting and suggesting startups, which is great. Um, Sean, who's gonna be joining us, is actually the head of brand engagement with Patagonia Australia, who are one of our Pitchfest partners. And um, we actually offer a dollar prize pack to someone who recommends a startup. So get onto one of our Ocean Impact Org Pitchfest posts, and you will be able to uh, comment a startup, and you might just win yourself a great prize. Speaking of Sean Doherty, he's uh, tuning in now. Hello, my mate. How are you? Hello, Tim. How are you going? Yeah, I'm doing really well, thank you. You're tuning in from the, the southern part of Australia. I'm up on the northern beaches of Sydney. You look a little bit chillier where you are. What's the temperature like today down there, mate? Mate, it, I'm not really dressed for the occasion, but we're actually in a heat wave here. It was 21 today. Um, people were falling over in the street, like birds were falling. <laughs> Been suffering a bit as a result of 
lockdown uh, syndrome, but you're able to get a bit of fresh air around you down where you are in Southern Vico? Yeah, mate, we're free as birds down here. Um, we've been really lucky through this whole thing. We've, um, you know, even through the first stage and now this second one, which is, has been heavier, we, we've kind of been able to come and go. Um, you know, I've got the beach a minute down the road here. So we've surfed through the whole thing. Um, and kind of, it just feels, it feels like otherworldly. It feels like it's happened somewhere else. Um, it's not till you walk down the street and you see people have got masks on, you go, oh, hang on, right okay, shit, right we're still in it. But you feel, it, it has feel, it's just this weird pause that's happened down here. Um, but it's, you know, it's obviously been quite heavy in some regards, but, but quite enlightening in others, you know. You'll, we'll never get a period in our lives like this ever again. Yeah, I'm sure we probably share a, a similar perspective there on, on all of this and that idea of it being a, a pause is, is a really important one. I remember one of the books that really helped me in my invent, environmental journey was uh, one called The Great Disruption um, by Paul Gilding. Show that when we start to hit some of these major aberrations in our stable climate, there's going to be all sorts of disruptions. Now, this for me has been a bit of a sort of glimpse into, into just what that disruption might look like. Yeah, it's like, like you think about it, like you'd rationalise what's happened. Like on the scale of pandemics, like this is about as mild as it gets, um, you know, and you look at what, how it's just turned everything on its head. Um, and that's, you know, people allude to the fact now we've had this as like a trial run for what happens if there's some great environmental collapse at some point. What does that look like? If this thing's done that to, to us, where our whole society has been so, you know, flipped on its head, like what would a, what would a, a big environmental collapse look like? And, and you know, and, and you like to think, you like to think positively, but man, it's just like, like this might be, And Bush, both sides of the best and worst of society, don't you? You see incredible community building and community momentum corralling around supporting people, but then you also get the people that freak out and want to just go and get everything they need and then run away and hide from everybody else. So you get both ends of the spectrum. Yeah, yeah, you get people fighting over dunny paper and, and, uh, and you get, yeah, you've got crews starting to delaminate a little bit at the moment as well. It's like this thing's been dragging on a long time. It's, uh, it's been a real test. Has the ocean been a real incredible uh, force for good for you during this time and for your community down there where you live? Uh, winter, not so much. We, we just had the worst winter for surfing you can, like in living memory. Um, but it followed on from like the best autumn. So we surfed ourselves stupid for like three months. And then we kind of all went back to work for three months. But um, it's been it's been rad to watch. Um, there's been a real shift in because, like I said, you're never going to get this period ever again in your life. You know, there's no travel. You kind of can only go to the end of the road to, to your local beach. Um, but and a lot of people were off work. A lot of people were off uni, school. They had time on their hands. And it was just this, just this mad period for surf and people just like got so like fell into a rhythm with it. You had dogs day after day and two surfs and three surfs and, but it was every day you're going and going and, um, and it just really reconnected and with surfing in a real simple form too, you're not traveling anywhere. You're not, you know, there's no pro tour. There's no, there's nothing else. There's just you, your board, um, and the beach at the end of the road and that's it. It's like it was so simple and so magic as a result. And I think, yeah, from a surfing point of view, it's, it's just com a complete recalibration on anything unnecessary that existed around it. It's just like gone. It's, it's, it's beautiful. It was, really, it was really, really good. It's like, you know, it's been a shitty time for a lot of people. But, man, it's like that aspect of it was, was um, it was big for sure. Yeah, and certainly for me, I think um, just that realisation of just how fundamentally important and valuable nature is to me. And I think there's been this incredible shift in 
in narrative, even from celebrities and a lot of spokespeople around the world, really upping the conversation on that connectivity piece. And someone just sort of commented um, on the on the chat there, I mean, that idea of pandemic um, situations like this being born out of our destruction of nature and really destabilizing all those systems. And, you know, this is a really good time for us to reconnect with that real baseline understanding of how fundamentally involved we are with nature. We are not separate and we are not removed. 100%. Yeah. Like I've taken up bird watching. There's been, there's been so many, they're not here right now, but I've got, I've got a kookaburra war going on here in this backyard. It's been going on for like weeks now. They're, it's the kookaburras against the currawongs. And you, it's, it's gnarly, man. There is like a Hitchcock novel. There's so much life around at the moment. Um, and I don't know if it's me just more tuned to looking for it or the fact that it's, it's kind of, you know, uh, it's nature rebounding and um, I don't know, but it's, it's been rad to watch. Um, and I think I'm not alone in, like you said, mate, it's like a lot of people have, have used this time to, to do a bit of reconnection um, and, and you've got a new sense of where you sit. In, in the scheme of things and all the human edifice and all the facade and all the bullshit and everything you make in your life and like like a lot of that oh it's all gone it's like okay what's left you know the kookaburras and the currawongs <laughs> before we get um too much further into our rambling chat we should probably uh help introduce yourself to the community obviously your community is tapping in and the ocean impact org community is tapping in but um yeah, let's talk a little bit about uh, who is Sean Doherty. So where do we start? Obviously, you're, you're an author and a, a surf journalist. You're a newly appointed publisher uh, with Surfing World. You're the head of brand engagement with Patagonia Australia. Um, where else can we take? And, of course, you're an incredible environmental activist and spokesperson. You're a dad. You're a surfer. Have I missed much there, mate? <laughs> No, covered off. I'm, I'm spinning a few plates at the moment, Timmy. Um, <laughs> it's uh, there's a bit on, but it's a good time. You know, there's a there's a sitting in the middle. There's a lot of stuff going on around, um, and I'd much rather be busy at the moment doing stuff than than sitting on my ass just watching it go by. And the reason I really, I mean, obviously, you know, always wanting to have a, a chat with you, but really, I've just been so blown away by what you've been contributing to this national and international conversation about the state of the ocean and what's happening around coastlines, particularly in Australia. And so, you know, I think our, our, our conversation today will swirl particularly around that with the fight for the bite, what you're doing now is, as the chair of Surf Rider Foundation Australia. Um, but we may as well sort of go back and and get a bit of a snapshot, a bit of a picture of, of, of what happened in your life to bring you up to becoming this, this voice for reason and appreciation of, of nature in the ocean. So do you want to give us a little bit of a glimpse at maybe where some of this, uh, this started for you where, you, where you grew up, some of those early formative experiences? Sure, mate. Well, I, was, I grew up just up the coast from you uh, at Foster on the north coast. Um, we live 50 metres from the beach. We live like a 100 metres from a national park. So that was kind of the backyard. Um, so we were in the middle of it. Um, we were there, that's all we did, you know, fish, surfed, um, explored, or that, that was our, our playground. So kind of, that was, that's the connection, you know, there from the start. Um, <clears throat> didn't really have much of an activist background, but then I think back to it, we, my brother and I, I remember this occasion, we, <clears throat> we were surfing a place called Janie's Corner uh, at Foster there. and. We were surfing and we heard this almighty gurgle. We were the only ones out and, and the, we looked around and the, the water just went brown and it went, it was this huge cloud and, it, and the thing stunk. It was the overflow from the sewage works. And they, and we just got, we were just like, oh my God, this is just like, like it went from heaven to hell in like a minute. <laughs> so we went straight in, went straight home, got glass jars, went out, scooped it up, put the lids on went straight to the, the local paper, um, got a story done for the local paper and then went to the local council chambers and dropped it on the desk and said, you guys can have this shit back. And <laughs> we were just kind of, we couldn't believe that you would, you would pump 
shit out on these perfect and you know how clean the water is up there it's like it's like crystal and and it was just really jarring and so we've had that sense and we were we were punks as well and and we love to stir shit up and so taking on the council was like fun um so <laughs> so did you know yeah, that the outflow was there did you know there was an overflow there and it was the first time you'd seen it in action or was it a big surprise well, we, we knew it was there we knew because we, we rode our bikes past the sewerage work so we knew it was there but but it was around the back side of it so they they were sneakily discharging as well and so and we got them and and it, because i made the front of the paper of course and um but then i reckon what's like i reckon my kind of journey ended up being like most surfers for the last 20 years is that they've been good surfing years you know um you've been able to travel you've been able like travel's been cheap um like and you live in australia it's a land of milk and honey mate it's like the coast here is just you travel anywhere and just go oh my god get me home um so it's been good and you what that breeds is a bit of selfishness you just you just go mate i'm just going surfing and you haven't really had much to push back against and it's only really i reckon in the last five years that you've really seen it that you start to get a sense of that there's something coming on the horizon and there's something really fucking bad um and unless and it's been done by stealth as well and unless you actually kind of and it's the nature of the ocean mate you you don't see most of this stuff the problems are hidden um as you know mate they're hidden until they wash up on the beach um and they're hidden over the horizon they're hidden and it and you really don't know they're there until it's often until it's too late and but i think there's this growing sense in people now that man unless we like we do some shit now there's like there is something bad like that that cataclysm that we were talking about earlier, man, it, it, you know, you don't want to pass that on down the line. That's, we've got a chance here to stop it. But you could just as easily be whinging into your beer at the pub, having a yarn with a few people and grumbling, but you haven't like you've, you've positioned yourself as a, a very bold spokesperson on this. Like where, where does that come from? Is it, is it the old punk? Is it the wanting to rattle some cages? Is it a sense of, duty or obligation like what's what's really driving it yeah i think it is i think there's a there's certainly a punk ethic in there um and just you know and the style of doing it it's just like these guys are are easy to make fun of as well um and they're not used to being challenged we're talking about big corporations and big and and they're not used to 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 kind of people making fun of them um and and so in that case they're actually easy targets and i don't actually mate, that my instagram account is like therapy for me mate it's fun um to to go around and see all these atrocities that are happening everywhere and 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 kind of lighting them up a little bit and um it you know it makes me sleep better at night anyway i get i get it out <laughs> we might talk a little bit about your incredible instagram feed and and how you maintain that a little bit later on but maybe we should just dive a little bit deeper into those sort of issues that you really have been rallying around lately. Do you remember when it really in recent times um, burst out that you needed to be a voice on this and was there a catalyst moment? Uh, it's kind of grown organically, I think. And obviously the bite um, is the key to it. Like we've been involved down there for 2015. I think we started with Patagonia. Um, first working with the wilderness society down there and, and the local crew down in the bite. Um, and it was a bit of a sleeper issue at that point, just by the nature of it made it so far away down there. It's so removed from the consciousness of the East coast and, and, and everyone over here. Um, but there was a sense that, you know, like the implications for this thing was pretty big and that if it ever, like if there was some way for people over East to realize what was happening down South, then mate, all hell would break loose. Um, and finally, and people finally realized, you know, I think it's like in terms of a moment, um, I think the first paddle out down here at Torquay, um, was the first moment when I looked around and went, holy shit. Okay. Uh, heard a couple of people here. Like we pulled up that day and we like, I was half an hour early and I was like, I was thinking we might get a couple of hundred people down. Um, cause again, Torquay's, you know, probably a thousand Ks from the bite, still a long way away. Um, and we couldn't, and I, like, I've seen all these cars parked. We were parked like four streets back. And I go, oh, man, it's, this is a busy day at the beach. Like, like 
where, how's our hundred people going to fit in here? It turned out all those cars were us. That was, it was like, and we got down there and there's like probably, yeah, I did three or 4,000 people. And, and, and they were all just, and it was, but it was, it kind of, it, I looked at it and it wasn't a protest. That's what it was. That's the first thing that became clear to me. It, it was, but I looked around and half the crew were families, you know, um, there were a lot of, you know, there were tons of surfers, but there were tons of people who, who, who just walked the beach every day with their dogs, loved the coast for other reasons. And it was this, this weird kind of Star Wars bar of all these different crew. And I looked around and went, man, okay, this is, there's a real gravity to this issue. And probably, and, and, and beyond that, again, there's probably more um, potential for other issues as well. It's like, it's the first thing anyone stood up really stood up for on mass on the coast for a long time. So, um, yeah, yeah, Damo Cole and I went like, at the end of that day, we went right. Holy shit. We had a beer out that afternoon and went, mate, what is this? You know, what, what is it ourselves? So what was it? I mean, obviously it was the, the, the pinpoint of this entire campaign was the prospects of oil and gas extraction, in the bite and spill modeling that would show it would absolutely decimate the southern coastline and even the southeast corner of this nation and obviously a lot of people wanted to stand up in in defense of this beautiful pristine coastline down there but what is what is the what is the undercurrent that we have tapped into in this last couple of years like what are you sensing is is present right now in attitudes in Australia and around the world in respect to how we're treating the ocean and what it means to, I suppose, in the context of climate change and environmental yeah. destruction in a macro level. Yeah. I think we get a sense that we're, that if shit goes down, we're going to be the front line of it. Yeah. Living on the coast, we'll see it first. Um, it's already kind of happened that way, you know, it manifests on the coast. Um, I think also there's a growing sense of identity and, um, and a, a sense of self about people who live on the coast that, that really seeing themselves, um, you know, who they are as people really identifies around what they do in the water and like beach walking and surfing and diving and whatever you do, um, you really take it on. And um, I think it's those two forces as well that the imminent, the threat, that's it's posing and the fact it's become like it's almost on a cellular level for a lot of people who who live on the coast you know um like you try and imagine like i couldn't imagine i've never lived more than two k's from the coast ever in my life and i couldn't i couldn't do it i physically couldn't do it and i reckon most of my crew couldn't i know you couldn't do it um it just wouldn't work it's that's who you are and but you also feel so probably one of the most vulnerable um kind of areas and habitats that that's going to get that's going to get caned if if this goes the way they're predicting it might go so um those two forces together mate it's it's created quite a powerful little uh, a little ragtag scumbag army <laughs> <laughs> so let's have a little bit of a, a snapshot then of of where that fight for the bite campaign sits at the moment um and what else is going on around the nation because Obviously, it, it, I get the sense that through your work with Surfrider and Patagonia and all that you do, it is industrialization of, of the Australian coastline and it is petroleum extraction and exploration that feel like they are the, 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 the issues, right? So where are we at sort of in the nation at the moment? Uh, yeah, well, mate, it's same day here in Australia that just... They just keep on trying to roll this stuff out. It's gone from oil in the bite to gas everywhere else. Um, and, and yeah, and, and my personal thinking is you've got to, you've got to stop going backwards before you can go forwards. Right. At the moment where the crew in charge here are driving us back, we're going backwards. So everything we dig out of the ground and burn is something that's going to have to be fixed down the track. So the more of that we can keep in the ground now, um, then we can actually start getting about business of actually fixing it and moving forward and cleaning up, cleaning up what's there and putting in systems that, that we can, that can run the place, you know, cleanly. And it's all there, you know, it's, it's just this weird ideological, it's like a cult 
that's got control of this place at the moment. Just where it's it's just mate, there's just the dinosaurs that just want to keep doing it. And I think the important thing, the thing that we took out of the bite is that we can actually influence this stuff. Um, there's, there's a real powerlessness when you think of things that happen when you're talking about multi-billion dollar companies and, and federal governments and lobby and industry lobby groups and, and they're like awash with money and, and, it's, and you just go like, what a, what, like a surfing scumbag, what am I going to do to it? But if you get 5,000 surfing scumbags to show up down here at Torquay, um, suddenly they're listening, you know? And that was the other thing that we took out of this, this one here, this, um, this paddle out in Torquay. It was, it was right in the middle of the federal election. And to watch the behaviours of the candidates and the parties around what was happening here, because they really, this was the most marginal seat in Victoria, and they, and they both wanted, they thought the election would be close, they were throwing money at it everywhere to win it. Um, and we only found out that six months after the election that Labor was toying around with the idea of, of just giving the bite up, just nominating it for World Heritage, kicking all the oil guys out and, and nominating it for World Heritage just on what was happening here in this one electorate, you know, because it happened at that point in time. Um, and we went, right, okay. So you kind of got control of the levers a little bit. You work out, okay, well, it's, we know, it, obviously they've got to get voted in. The elections are obviously the key points, but you've, that's the one point where they really have to come back to you. And, and you, you've got a little bit of power and, and that sense of powerlessness can disappear if you're, if you're presenting at the right time. So what do we do? I mean, we sort of seem to be hearing a lot and having a lot of concern at the moment around what this post-COVID economic recovery looks like and a lot of, you know, projects that you said there, like around gas and it seems like a, a bit of a worrying time. Like what's, what's your sense on what's on the table and how communities are going to need to rally if they're opposed to some of this, um, particularly offshore gas extraction? Yeah. Well, you know, we, we learned a lot out of that bite campaign. Um, and now we're looking at, you know, obviously there's a, off, off your coast, you've got PEP 11 that's drawn up and, you know, there's, they're looking ready to go to drill out there, which, you know, whichever there's a, there was a sign that that's how brazen these guys are. They're willing to drill off Sydney. You know, they're not even trying to hide anymore. They don't care. It's like, we'll just drill off Sydney or we'll drill off Ningaloo. It's like, it's just so brazen. But at the same time, I think we're a bit better organised. Um, and we know where the soft spots are. Um, like we know a lot about how these things work and the environmental um, potential if things go wrong. But at the same time, we also know a lot about the economics about it. And the ec economics in gas are marginal at best. You know, it's not a good investment. Um, that's why this, this recovery here it's all, they're crying out, they want taxpayers' money to build all this infrastructure because they don't want to fund it themselves. Um, and I don't, want to be, I don't want my tax paying for a gas pipeline, thanks very much. Um, you know, I, I'd, rather, I'd rather go into a solar farm or for some new, you know, um, some infrastructure for the grid to, to allow renewables to work better. It's all, like, that's what the line, where we're at the crossroads right now. We go, they lock this stuff in. This is the danger, though. They lock it in. Mate, we're stuck with it for 40 years. You know, you, don't, you can't undrill a, a well once it's in production. They'll, they'll stay there till it's done or until the market collapses, which might happen anyway. And then you've got stranded assets that the taxpayer, again, will have to buy back. It's just crazy. Um, if you looked, you know, it, on no, in no way you could look at this and go, it makes sense. It just doesn't make sense. You know, even on a short-term thinking, it doesn't make sense, let alone long-term thinking when you factor in the damage it's doing to the climate. Um, so really important, important point in time here, Tim, that these next couple of years is going to be super interesting to see, um, see how this rolls out. Yeah. And really just, I think um, in the context of timing, you know, we have got this incredible coastal contingency um, constituency amassed now and they are ready and they're watching and they're listening and they're following your feed and you know everyone i guess is just trying to get a sense of where next is there any 
you know, I think leadership is a great little conversation um, deviation we can take there. Are you picking up anyone in a leadership position who is sort of coming out and saying there's a better way of doing this or presenting a plan where we can bounce back economically but leave the fossil fuels in the ground? Like, what are we, what are you sensing there? Oh, well, politically, there's there's a bunch of them, but they're like they're independents and greens who, who really don't don't hold a balance of power and um and it seems both major parties are beholden to the to the fossil fuel industry and paid off by them bought and sold so it makes that real you know you're up against the two majors are hard to shift um then you know there's political leadership there what mate, what i'm seeing a lot and what's going to grow a lot in the next two years is community leadership and that's that's where that's what won the bite you know there was no real, no one really led the bite. There was no figurehead for it. Probably Uncle Bunner, if you had, you know, was probably the one. But it was, mate, it was this whole series of towns all around the coast. And it, in every town, there was, there was one, generally like one person who kind of rallied, crew up and said, look, and got people to paddle out. And, and that was, you know, that the national paddle out where we ended up with 66 of them in towns. That's, that's when you saw it. You know, um, it wasn't one, you know, it wasn't a, a, a figurehead leader or it was community leadership. And it was, and I think we finally worked out, we can actually work together on stuff. And, and if we pull together on stuff, um, it makes a difference. And it, like we've seen, we've seen less, you know, we've seen that um, in place since. Like look at Manana, okay? Tiny little town, 500 people, got burnt out in the fires, the... It came, you know, the last bit of bushland was on, was was about to be bulldozed into an estate. Um, the locals rallied first, community, but then what happened was all the crew nationally started getting involved as well. You know, started writing submissions, started following on social media, throwing support behind, um, and it got all the way to, to it got taken to the the federal environment minister, and it's got to stay on it. So it got saved, um, and it was like for me personally that was really cool because. The, like the Al Aladala Manana crew were big supporters of the bike, of the bike campaign. They really went, you know, that was one of the real core groups. Um, and I, the, a lot of the crew in other bits of the country all saw that and went, right, you guys helped us, like we're on for you. So, um, yeah, we're in small outposts all over the coast, but you can put us together. We're a, we're a fairly big, unruly mob. Does it work because it is informal and it galvanises around issues as they emerge? Or do you have a vision of, of whether it's Surfrider Foundation or another entity that tries to put this into some sort of more structured con uh, construct? Yeah, yeah, you're right. Well, that was the idea with Surfrider. We wanted to keep that energy going. It needed a framework um, to hang off and... Otherwise, it, it does become a bit of a rabble, you know. Um, but the surf riders probably is clearly the best framework to hang it off. It's, you know, it's got a great reputation. It's done a lot of good stuff here. You know, we're, we're 30 years in here in Australia. Um, and so it's, it's, you know, and Damo and I thought, well, this is probably the best place for us to be, um, to sit surf rider in. And then whenever any of these little battles pop up and issues and, in small little towns, we can just bring Surfrider in. Um, and, but it's, it also works, it works because it's loose too. You know, there's a charm in that. The fact that it's, that it's just a, a group of locals and, and it does still, it never feels detached from community at all, ever. You know, and you saw that with Manana, you had a shitload of people getting in behind it nationally everywhere, but it still looked like a community protest. Um, and that's and that's the beauty of it, and that's the essence of it, and that that's it'll work in that that way. While we are touching on Surfrider Foundation, do you have a call to action yet? It sounds like since um, taking the role of chair and and with Damien Cole coming in as a national campaigns manager, like, do you have um, a plan and a vision yet? You're still doing some work on that. Any any calls to action for people out there who may have an interest in getting more involved with Surfrider Foundation? Yeah, well, obviously, mate, we're always taking members, Tim. Um, yeah, it's a it's a membership driven organisation, and we really want people to feel like um, that you know 
they've got some buy-in to it, you know. And like I said, we want this to create this thing that that can it can move around and help. Yeah, it can help Manana. It can. It's over in Narrabup in WA right now, helping those guys. It's on the northern beaches with Pep Eleven. Um, and the more people we can get into that, and the, and the bigger that group can be, the more clout it's going to have. Um, so we do need to kind of collectivise that. Um, and so, yeah, at first, a membership at Surfrider make a good uh, Father's Day present. If I'm going oh. to pitch here, um, but that's a good look, pitch. Sign up, but we're mate, we're really looking, and and Damo Cole's in the centre of it, mate. He's and he's just a monster. He's he just doesn't switch off. He's got the cold gene, and he's just gonna he is gonna go and go and challenge his crew. Um, but we get and we're also getting smarter at what we do too. It's you know we're finding that you've got to be a little, um, you know, you've got to play their game a little bit. And we know that, and we, and we know which things kind of work a little bit now, and and we're kind of getting better at it, I think. Um, How do you feel? I mean, a big part of what we saw with those national um, actions to strive for the uh, the win with fight for the bite was young people and families, um, and you know, ocean around the opportunities for innovation and what we call business as un screws people and it screws the planet. So how about we change our lens and we look for new ways of doing things? What are you picking up and sensing from, from young people that you're interacting with and that other communities are, are uh, interacting with? Yeah, you're, you're, you're dead right. That, like that whole bite movement was driven by two demographics. One was young crew um, and the other one was families, you know, that's, that was more, I looked around, that was the revelation for me. Um, it, especially, you know, intergenerational ones who've, who've raised kids on the coast. Like I said, and that stuff's going to, um, that stuff's going to propel this movement down the track. Um, but it was, yeah, it's definitely a, a youth driven movement. Um, it's great. It's a whole mix of crew. Like I said, it's a bit of a Star Wars bar that we've got, you know, Jack, <laughs> boomers, like, but the commonalities, mate, we love the coast and that's, so that unites us. Um, and that, that's what, you know, kind of brings us together. Awesome. Let's have a little bit of a chat about some of the other things that you're, um, sort of working on. And I wouldn't mind, um, talking a little bit about some of those books that you've authored. Um, so am I right? It was the Michael Peterson book. Was that one of your first of the main books back in 2004 yep had no idea what i was doing <laughs> is that have i heard the news that it's going to become a, a feature film or a big there is a film being made about it potentially yeah okay good one yeah. no no big scoops i probably can't say too much at this point but um no worries yeah good well one film one book that did become a film was, was your Bra Boys book. Do you want to tell us a little bit about that one? Or if you want, you yeah. can jump straight to your, your latest book, Golden Days, and tell us a little bit about that one too. Yeah, yeah. Oh, the, the, the Maribra book was, was a classic for me. It was like, it was pretty, like, it was a heavy time too. Um, like you think back now and, and that, you know, the Bra Boys things kind of, you know, faded away a bit and like, you know, Kobe's living in Bali and you don't, but you think back to the mid 2000s, mate, you couldn't, certainly couldn't pick up the Daily Telegraph without reading about them. Um, they were up to something. And it was, it was, for me, it was, it was interesting as a, as a character study for a coastal town because it was so different to where I grew up. I grew up in Foster, um, which was really mellow and, you know, and laid back. And, and Maroubra is just intense, man. Um, it's still pretty intense today. But in that period, you had, when those, those guys were through there, and it just gave me a real sense of the tribalism that's that's around this around this country and how each of these each of these coastal tribes are present a little bit differently to the others, and in the case of Maroubra, very differently. Um, but it was it was interesting, man. They're just full on guys, like just complete, you know. Um, and it was mayhem most of the time, and they got themselves in trouble. And but as a as a challenge to write it, that was like. I think that was even more challenging than writing um, the MP's book, for sure. 
Yeah. And um, we actually had a, a chat on the podcast recently with, with Mark Matthews, who, um, you know, yeah. really just an intriguing character. And obviously um, I asked him that question, like, you know, just how formative was that move in your, you know, teenage years to living next door to Kobe? And he, he was clear. It, was, it changed his life entirely. And he wouldn't yep. have got into big wave surfing were it not for that interaction with that community. So, but he you know, talks at length about just how, you know, so many of those uh, traits that existed in that small community um, can be translated across to so many other lessons that you can learn in life. And now he talks to the biggest corporates in the world with those lessons he learned in a raw community. It's incredible. How's that for a, a, a change in, in lifestyle, huh? <laughs> it's such a change, yeah. Tell us about Golden Days then. You've written a new book that's about the, um, the history of Australian surfing. Um, yeah, I'd love to hear a bit more yeah. about that. Okay, yeah, I got, um, I got tasked with writing a book, uh, like a set of biographies on everyone in the, the Hall of Fame, the Australian Hall of Fame, 44 of them, I think. Um, and so what I, what I thought is that, you know, and they're all household names and big characters. And I thought well, rather than skim through their life you know, in 3,000 words and, and just list what they've done, and I said, like, how do I get kind of like a little deeper into them? I said, well, why don't I just, I'll pick one year in their life and then just look at kind of where they were in their life and, and what their surfing life was like and, and what society was doing around them and what surfing was doing around them. And the, so they became these little time capsules. Um, it ended up being a shitload of work. <laughs> it sounded easy in theory. I thought I was saving myself work, but I was actually creating more work for myself. Um, but it's cool, man. Any time, like any opportunity to spend like a few hours on the phone or, or in person with all those crew, yeah, those legends, man, that's like, that's priceless, that stuff. Um, and they're just, yeah. And anyone, like all these crew, they've spent so much time in the surf. Um, they're really, yeah, there's a strange kind of wisdom that, that distills in that time. And, and speaking to these crew, you, you kind of get it. You just go, man, that's, that's why I live on the coast. Yeah. How many of the um, Hall of Fame characters are there and how many did you profile in the book? Yeah, there's 40, well, I think there's 41 in total. Um, I added in three that will be in the Hall of Fame, um, Mick, Joel and Tyler. They'll end up there in some point. Um, uh, a few of them have passed on. So I ended up, I don't know, like 35, 38 interviews, I sat down with them. Um, but cool, man. What a, like, you know, for someone who works and writes about surfing, like what an amazing opportunity. It was like, I, and it, I still, it's still from time to time, it's still, yeah, you know, I get a text message. It's Mark Richards. Oh, cool! <laughs> like, how cool is that? That's like the coolest shit ever. Like, if you could have told seven-year-old me that was going to happen, like he he would have lost his shit. Um, so, have you found the right balance now? I mean, it sounds from as we started this conversation with a bit of a glimpse into the many hats and the many roles that you um, uh, partake. Like, how how do you balance it all out? It sounds like a pretty busy life. Yeah, yeah, got it. <laughs> Well, for a, a kind of surfing scumbag, I've actually, in my later life, developed a bit of discipline um, and, and really learned to compartmentalise things and know kind of what's important and put the right time aside for that and, and just try and stay disciplined um, with and not, not let the, the containment lines blur between them, um, even though all of these things all kind of pull in the same direction. Um, with all this environmental work and the and Patagonia and they're all pulling generally in the same direction, but to get them done, you kind of got to really, you know, turn the phone off and stay off Instagram for a couple of hours. <laughs> Indeed you do. Do you want to give us a little bit of a glimpse? Totally up to you, but you know, do you have a bit of a, a vision for the future for yourself? I mean, taking the role with, um, with surf rider, plotting out a path for, the future of this sort of, um, you know, environmental movement. Like, you want to give us a bit of a glimpse at where you you think you're you're heading? Mm. Mate, I wouldn't know, Tim. To be honest, um, like if you had asked me a year ago, you know, that told me I'd, I'd you'd be chair of the Surfrider Foundation, I go, oh, that's a bit. Yeah, I didn't see that coming. Um, so where it's going to go, I couldn't tell you. But it, like, like I said, mate, these next couple of years are pivotal for the lot of us, um, in terms of. You know, we're going to have to dig in a bit here to to really to fight for a bit of a 
livable future down the track. Um, and like, mate, I couldn't tell you what shape it's going to take for me personally, and I don't really care um, as long as we get the outcome. Um, I just enjoy, like, but I actually really enjoy it. Like, I enjoy, and it's not, it's not an ego thing. It's not like I'm not, I've accidentally found myself in this position. Like, I definitely didn't set out, set out like this. Um, but now that I'm here, like, I, man, I love nothing. Like, the day I got the call that the bite had been saved, Man, I cracked a beer at 10 in the morning. It was like, I was just going, fucking beauty, mate. This is like, this is the best shit ever. And 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 you're getting all these wins. And when, you know, the Manyata decision, if you can get these and celebrate these little wins here, um, you know, you do feel like, because it's pretty thankless shit most of the time. It's like going into, you know, environmental work, you rarely get wins. And if you get wins, they get unwound later. And, um, and, and it's a constant battle and you never really win. But it's, man, it just feel and, you, and you're facing this big dark spectre down the track somewhere. And the, and, but, you know, you, there's just these little moments you just go, man, this is, this is like, this is, I feel like I'm doing something worthy. So, um, and I got kids and, you know, and I'm always thinking, right, I, I'm not leaving the place a fucking mess for them to clean up. That's like, it's our mess. Like, that's our job to clean it up. Um, I don't want to pass that on. So, mate, um, uh, I'm picking up what you're putting down, and I reckon your entire community. I'm watching some of the commentary coming through on the um, on the Instagram live feed there, and you really are just um, so appreciated, mate. So I know you probably do get plenty of pats on the back and and direct uh, thanks for your work, and I'm just gonna give it to you again. Like, thank you so much for all that you're doing and the community that you're really galvanising. Um, I might leave it to you if there was anything you wanted to talk about today that you haven't had a chance to chat about yet or some final closing words, mate. I'd, um, I'd love to hear them. Yeah. No worries, mate. Like, what you just said then is, like, the, the, the way this wins is that we all do something, you know. It takes some shape. Like, for you, you, you know, you do ocean impact, um, getting these startups around and, and getting a business focus on it. For me, it's it's like you know at the moment it's 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 dealing with the fossil fuel mob, but it's it's trying to work something in the middle. Everyone's got something, you know. Even if you're just down at your local, there's something you can improve. Um, and the thing and the power of that, if we can connect all of those together, um, then it's quite a powerful little block that we've got here on the coast, um, and we can get shit done. We proved it. So. I love it. I love uh, especially to see you so charge up um you know you, you don't know the person behind the screen and that interaction that you're having with your incredible commentary you could be forgiven that you know you'd be stressed out or you know not feeling in your prime but i get the impression you're loving every minute of it mate oh, yeah i'm loving it now like i wasn't the last couple of months have been tough because we've had the worst winter here for waves in a long time that that really tested <laughs> me and i couldn't get out and do anything and it's like but I surfed, I had three surfs on Saturday and I'm kind of feeling human again. Um, so this has been a fun <laughs> week for sure. But all, all the better for talking to you, Timmy. Oh, if anyone deserves some oceanic karma, it's you, Sean. Oh, so let's, uh, come on, Mother Nature. All right. Good chat, mate. Thank you so much Bye. for your time. Uh, everyone, make sure you follow Sean0888 on his Insta and follow all the great work he's doing with Surfrider, Patagonia and all the riding he does, uh, Surfing World, etc. Good on you, mate. Love your work, Timmy. They're turning the lights out here, mate. We're just about done. So, See you, buddy. See you, mate.
take the ocean out of 